Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Know It All, the ABCs of Education. We are excited this morning. We are celebrating the uh, this week, December 3rd through 7th, the National Inclusive Schools Week, um, and that is essentially um, celebrated to support students with disabilities and students from diverse backgrounds um, from and, and celebrate the inclusion of all students from um, a variety of backgrounds. So we are excited this morning to talk about special education and, and what special education is and what it means. Um, I am Allison Brown, your host of Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Make sure that you check us out live every Tuesday morning or at any time from the comfort of your computer at www.blogtalkradio.com slash knowitall. We have candid conversations every week about the education issues that impact you and your community and the real-life solutions to education issues that you face every single day. We aim to make you a know-it-all about education law, policy, and practice as it affects you. I am um, the owner of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I am a civil rights attorney with expertise in the laws that require equity in public education, regardless of students' background or characteristics. Keep up with me at Allison Brown Consulting. My guest host is the lovely Alexis J. Smith of Entitled to Educate. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Allison. How are you? I'm well, thank you. She is a community engagement and parent empowerment specialist. You can check her out at EntitledToEducate.com. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the, the National Inclusive Schools Week, December 3rd through 7th. It's celebrated every year. It's been celebrated since 2001 to support students with disabilities and students from a, a diverse uh, array of backgrounds. There are, of course, different categories of special needs and exceptional children. Special education, put very simply, is a system of individualized services that is provided to students with special needs and disabilities as defined by law. And we're going to talk about special education at length today. Um, I have started a chat, so if you are joining us live, please please join the chat and feel free to, to post your questions there um, on the website. Um, let's talk a little bit about what special education is. Um, a child with, there are several different categories, as I mentioned. A child with an impairment has a loss or reduced function of a body part or organ. A child with a disability has an inability to perform an activity in the usual way. A child with a handicap has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. And an at-risk child has a greater than usual chance of developing an exceptionality, perhaps because of biological conditions at birth. So special education can be um, an overlap of several different categories. Um, you may have a child whose handicap prevents him or her from from operating fully um, in a major life function. Um, and what has been defined as, educa as special education and um, the protections that come with special education uh, originates from federal law. So um, there is a, a web of laws that that encompasses special education and that protects students with disabilities. And that web of laws is fairly complex. Um, and, and so that, that web of laws then is laid over the actual services that make up special education. And the web can be suffocating for educators, administrators, parents, and students. And so that's why we wanted to have this conversation this morning. So let's get into it. Let's Let's do a brief primer, and then we'll talk about what it means for parents and what it means for educators. 
Um, civil rights are um, generally the rights of individuals to receive equal treatment based on legally protected characteristics. So special education is a civil right because the government has decided that um, a, group, a group of people, people with disabilities in this particular situation, um, needs protection from discrimination and harassment and needs to be accommodated in um, education. And there are several laws that actually are relevant to the provision of special education. There is the Individuals with, Edu with Disabilities Education Improvement Act, or um, IDEA as it is affectionately known, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And those statutes all work together to provide the protections that um, students with disabilities have come to know. Um, so there are several different acronyms that I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard before. Um, what many of us know as FAPE, or Free Appropriate Public Education, is required under law. Um, students with disabilities must be provided a free and appropriate public education. Appropriate can be defined as something that is specifically tailored to um, students with special needs. Um, and so students with disabilities, um, for instance, if a student has attention deficit disorder, um, that student is entitled to certain accommodations to ensure that he or she is receiving the same access to educational opportunities as uh, his or her classmates or colleagues. Um, and that is a, a free, appropriate public education. Um, an individualized education plan is essentially a roadmap, um, and it, it provides um, educators and service providers with a guide for um, how to serve a student with special needs. Um, and that can be, you know, special services, whether it is um, a dedicated aid in the classroom or um, extra time on task, extra time on a, a test or quiz um, in order to accommodate the student with, di with disabilities. It can be several different things. Um, but the Individualized Education Plan, or IEP, is um, very, very important to make sure that educators are administering services to, to students with special needs, regardless of um, you know their regardless of their disability, and in order to to um, support the student in an inclusive environment. Um, which which brings us to least restrictive environment. Um, I think you know before this family of laws was was um, was utilized or was in place in order to protect students in school. Uh, what we saw oftentimes was um, students being warehoused and uh, marginalized at the fringes of educational educational institutions. Um, you had what what are called self-contained classrooms only, um, and students who were were perceived disabled or who were disabled were placed in these classrooms um, for the entire school day away from their classmates. Um, they were stigmatized and um, often abused and mistreated in, in these classrooms and not receiving academic instruction necessarily in these classrooms. And so um, the least restrictive environment requires that students with special needs actually um, be placed in 
an environment or in a, an educational environment that is the least restrictive for them. Um, if a student has um, an emotional behavior disorder, um, that student might be placed in the mainstream or general education classroom rather than a self-contained classroom, and that student will have access to the very same educational opportunities as his or her classmates um, and may receive some extra counseling according to his or her IEP um, or may receive some extra support um, or understanding as um, as necessary throughout the school day, but the least restrictive environment for that student, um, as assessed by specialists and others, um, is is can be the general education classroom, and that student then can receive educational programming um, just like his or her classmates. Um, so that's a brief primer, and, and of course we'll get into it a little more um, throughout the course of the show. Um, but I want to turn to Alexis and and um, ask you, Alexis, based on your experience working with parents, families, and community members, to talk a little bit about whether there is a stigma in being labeled or having a child who is labeled a disabled or special needs student. Well, I think there is. Uh, there definitely is a stigma, and you used um, a phrase which is new to me but makes perfect sense about least restrictive environment, and I think that um, that ties into a big part of the stigma that, uh, you know, is uh, felt and perceived as it relates to uh, special education. That, you know, in many cases it's, it's very obvious but yet still somehow mysterious, the segregation that happens within school buildings. You've got, you know, a public school building, in particular gifted and talented students, um, you know, what I would refer to as the general education students and then the special education students. Um, and unless you are um, directly, you know, impacted on either extreme, the gifted and talented or the special education grouping, there are a lot of questions. And, you know, some of them because we consider it to be not our business, you know, we just don't ask. Um, but there is a stigma associated with it, and I think the environment that the children um, who are deemed requiring special needs are placed in um, feeds that stigma. I think it also stems from, you know, just an expansion of our own ignorance of the various definitions and the classifications, you know, under the umbrella of special needs. And therein lies this, you know, unspoken and perceived hierarchy. You know, it, it, it's weird how we, we create our own answers to questions that we have not even articulated. Um, but, you know, again, that that's what feeds the stigma. And I think, um, you know, just like other stigmas and associated stereotypes, uh, there seems to be a misconception of the perceived needs of the special learners and then, you know, how parents can maximize their access and effectiveness, um, you know, of the services once once their children are um, diagnosed, assuming, you know, appropriately diagnosed, which is another piece I think that leads to the stigma is the disproportionate misdiagnosis of, uh, you know, special needs learners. Um, in certain minority groups, but I, I'd like to see there being you know, a little bit more information on um, how parents can access these special services, and you know if they do believe that they're necessary. Mhm. Absolutely, and I think I think that you're right that the the stigma is essentially why this family of special education laws was created. Um, I think that the federal government certainly recognized that. 
um, students and people with special needs and disabilities were were um, not participating fully in society, and that's not helpful to any of us. Um, and the, you know, there have been children with special needs and and um, disabilities who have done very very well for themselves and ultimately for mm-hmm. the country. Um, when they were provided with a free and appropriate public education or a FAPE. And so I think that the the stigma is essentially what drove the creation of this this web of laws, um, and that is what drives it still. Um, And I think that our children are certainly um, learning to be um, um, successful and inclusive with one another, which which is very, very important. And I think that... Um, you know, having special needs children in the mainstream classroom and um, in the general education environment is important for um, children to learn to be able to um, to support one another regardless of their backgrounds or characteristics overall. I think it's a very powerful exercise for children to recognize that we all have differences and that we all have differences that should be celebrated and supported. Um so I, I think, think that, Allison, you know, I'm sorry, I was going to say, I think that's a charge that, you know, teachers and classroom teachers can help lead a little bit. I had an opportunity to talk with my um, 14-year-old who um, obviously is in high school and, you know, went through, she was at our local elementary school, public school um, for uh, K through 6 or K through 5, excuse me, and then went into a exclusively magnet program for middle school and now is an exclusively magnet program for high school. And I was actually surprised to find out that there were, you know, special education courses and classes made available, excuse me, at the magnet level as well. I mean, in in my mind, again, speaking to the the ignorance that I think, you know, many of us deal with is that it's kind of an oxymoron, you know, special education and magnet. I think you expect that there would be a special education track in a, you know, a local public school but when you go into the magnet level, you know, there's the perception that, that the two don't quite go together. And I think that, you know, she shared with me that in the, on the elementary school level, um, her teacher embraced um, time with, you know, the, the special education students, and it created a, a balance in my child's mind, and I would assume, you know, the same of others in the classroom as well, like you said, that just realizes that we all learn differently. And they went in and, you know, some of the uh, exercises they did together were, were academic, but most of them were, were social. And it just allowed the students on all levels to, to just kind of meet in the middle and, and enjoy that balance. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so I think one thing that the advocates have been concerned about is a um, a spike in the number of students who have been referred for special education services. Um, so what I think what the creation of this web of laws, especially this family of, ed, of special education laws, has done has has increased awareness around special education, which is good and it's important. Um, and some are concerned that there has been uh, a spike in the number of students who have been identified as special needs students and um the number of students with for instance um uh, autism has increased or and the number of students with um attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder has has increased in recent years and um there's some concern that that is related to this new um focus on special education and special needs um i personally think and you know i i 
am a former attorney for the Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division's Educational Opportunity Section, um, and we regularly saw cases regarding special education and, and um, enforcing these, this family of laws. Um, and I I hear that concern, and I think that it is valid and should be explored. Um, but I also think that there there possibly was under-identification before um, and that students with special needs were not being identified as they should have been previously. Um, and so although we are seeing increasing numbers of students who are being referred for special education services, number one, um, that means that students who previously would not have been identified are being identified. And number two, it means that students who need um, special education services are getting those services in an inclusive environment. Um, and so they are not necessarily, the spike in uh, or the increase in the numbers of students who are being uh, referred for special education services does not necessarily mean that uh, there's a negative that should be associated with that. Uh, what it means is that we are, um, as, as you noted, we are now identifying learning differences and we're identifying strategies for addressing differences in, in learning, um, you know, in, in um, the way, ways the students and people learn, which is important. Um, Alexis, you work with parents who homeschool their children. What, what do you think is their perspective on special education? Is there a common theme among them about special education and how to provide it at home? Well, um I found that many families who made the decision to homeschool, you know, their special needs learners, you know, have done so not so much to avoid that stigma, but, you know, as you said, to more effectively address, you know, what they realize are unmet or underserved learning needs, um, you know, whether or not they're deemed special in the, the public eye, but, you know, certainly critical, you know, to their students' um, academic and civic achievement. Um, you know, when they are, when homeschooling is the uh, desired route, you know, parents and caregivers are uh, better empowered to diversify, you know, the teaching and learning processes that they use and, you know, take a little bit more time and, and you know, again, just customize the way that they introduce the information and the pace at which the information has to be, you know, digested and before they move on to the next learning skill. So, um, you know, there are some common strands, but I think that, you know, in and of itself, the, the basis of homeschooling allows for it to be, a, you know, a, a really unique and highly customized process. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I think that, that parents want to know about special education is um, kind of how how to make that happen for their child. So where they notice that their child has had challenges in school before or has had challenges in um, the home environment, and making wanting to figure out how to make sure that their child receives um, appropriate support and a free appropriate public education. Um, and I I think that it's important that parents know um, that they can approach educators and initiate the referral process, and um, they can literally go to their their child's teacher or their child's principal and ask that their child be tested for special education services um, and be diagnosed 
um, with a special education, with a disability or a special need, and the school is obligated to um, respond by by um, assessing the student and assessing the student's needs. Once a student has an IEP, an individualized education plan, that IEP follows the student. So if the student moves from one school to another, uh, that IEP will go with the student. It attaches to the student once it's in place. Um, there are periodic reviews of that IEP, um, and so parents have the right to certainly ask for a review of the IEP to make sure that it is being administered the way that it is supposed to be according to what's written in the plan, um, but also to ask that they um, that where modifications need to take place, that is happening. Um, in the IEP, there will be a schedule for, you know, regular check-ins, check-ins of the students and um, regular assessment of whether the IEP needs modification. Um, and parents should know that where that is not happening, they absolutely have the right to go to the school and ask for a meeting um, with administrators and educators about the the IEP. Um, students, even who have graduated from high school, um, have an IEP, and the IEP stays with the student um, and can stay with the student through college. Um, and that IEP... Uh, again, is important. Um, parents should know that they also have an obligation to show up for IEP meetings and to, to be um, a partner in uh, making sure that the school is administering um, services under the IEP and informing the school of changes to a student's behavior or um, diagnosis um, by from a, a professional, a health professional, mental health professional, or other professional. Um, and and um you know parents should really take the opportunity to view this as a partnership between themselves and um and the school um another thing i think that has come up is students with disabilities and discipline um so a student with disabilities can be disciplined in the school environment for violating a school rule um but if a student with disabilities is to be suspended from school for 10 days or more under the law that student must receive a manifestation determination and that is um very briefly a meeting to determine whether the behavior that got the student in trouble in the first place is a manifestation of his or her disability and if it is then the the, the school has to um adjust its its accommodations and um essentially cannot kick that student out of school for um doing something that is um that is caused by his or her disability. So, Alan, so who is there a panel that makes the decision or who who are you uh, appealing to with that decision process? So the manifestation determination team, MDT, is usually made up of the student's teacher um, and the person who referred the student for behavior uh, from for the behavior in the first place, um, and can be a school counselor um, and the special education coordinator for the school um, or school district if there is one. So the MDT is usually a group of people, maybe four or five, six people. Um, the the school counselor is there to advocate on behalf of the student and to explain kind of where the student may have been coming from and how this this manifests his or her disability 
um, the person who referred the student for discipline in the first place would likely be there to explain what took place and to um, you know just provide factual clarification. Um, an administrator, a special education coordinator, would be there to to also help facilitate the understanding of how and whether this is a manifestation of the student's disability. Um, and an administrator would be there to make the final determination about whether the student, um, the behavior exhibited by the student, was a manifestation of his or her disability. Um, and if not, then give the student an opportunity to um, kind of plead his or her case, but. Um, then determine what the consequence will be for the behavior in place um, uh, that took place. So that that is the team that would make the determination um, for a student with disabilities about whether a behavior is a manifestation of that that um, student's disability. Um, so that's that is a. a Primer on special education and special education law. Um, special education is a civil right, and um, students with special needs and with disabilities are absolutely entitled to be treated equitably in the school environment. Um, and if if parents have concerns or want to know more, then they should absolutely um, seek out their special education coordinator in the school um, and and speak with their students teachers about um, their questions and concerns. Um, I want to thank our audience, you, for joining us today. I also want to thank my wonderful guest host, Alexis Smith. Alexis, do you have any closing thoughts for parents and community members? Well, you know, Allison, I, I always like to close with a note of empowerment and encouragement. So, you know, today is no different. I, you know, really just echoing your um, comments on, you know, being empowered to get answers uh, to the questions that you have. You know, we've all heard the saying, you know, we, we have not, or in this case, we know not because we ask not. You know, meet with your child. You know, ask him or her questions. Um, do what you can to assess their own learning styles, you know, right there at home and uh, begin to work with them. Meet with teachers. Ask questions. Meet with your pediatrician. You know, ask questions there. You know, you may find out that your baby just needs reading glasses. You know, or, you know, you may be um, taking some, you know, very positive, proactive steps to position yourself to be a really good advocate, you know, for any special services that, you know, are deemed necessary. So, you know, in either case, knowing is half the battle. Ask the questions, get the answers, and implement the services and strategies um, toward a solution. Great. Well, again, thank you very, very much for um, your your time today um, to the audience. Again, we're, we are celebrating this week, December 3rd through 7th, National Inclusive Schools Week. Um, if you want more information about National Inclusive Schools Week, you can go to www.inclusiveschools.org, and they have many resources and um, information about um, National Inclusive Schools and about special education and the provision of special education to students with disabilities. Um, I am very grateful to my guest host, Alexis Smith, um, for her perspective on parent empowerment and parent engagement. Um, and I will be here, we'll, we'll both be here next week, Tuesday, um, and we'll be talking about poverty in education and, and um, what that means, what that is, what educators can do. Um, we will be uh, discussing this um, 
thought of culture of poverty and, and how dangerous that can be um, because we are all individuals and we all have um, our own in independent and individual needs. And so we'll be discussing um, how to address poverty in the classroom. You are now officially certified know-it-alls on special education. Go forth and share. Have a wonderful week. We will be here next week. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. Alexis Smith can be found at EntitledToEducate.com. We thank you for joining us.